0: Hey, y'all, it's Trina, and this is our hot take. It is June, and, of course, we're celebrating Juneteenth. More to come about an exciting announcement. Check out, follow us on social media, and join our newsletter if you want to know about this exciting Juneteenth announcement. But we're also celebrating Father's Day, and for Parents and for Liberation, we call it Black Daddy's Day. And we're doing some cool stuff to honor and celebrate black dads locally here in Compton, Um Again, check out our social media to find out about our Black Daddy's Day event at a barbershop, haircuts, conversations about co-parenting happening on June 12th in Compton, California. So if you're in this area, um, check it out. Please try to sign up. We're on Eventbrite. We're on Instagram. And it's also on our website. Okay. So because it's June and we're celebrating all these things, I was so excited to have like a positive hot take a hot topic that wasn't something negative and sad or, you know, enraging. Um, And I wanted to celebrate and highlight this incredible initiative that's happening at a Louisiana high school called Dads on Duty. But then as I thought about it and as this last week, um, the reality of last week hit me, I realized that I would be remiss to highlight and celebrate a high school without acknowledging um, the school shooting that happened in Uvalde um, that has left everyone heartbroken. And left over twenty people to grieve twenty families to grieve the loss of small children and school teachers. And so, I just want to say, um, send our condolences and our prayers um, and also our anger and frustration at the lack of support around ending gun violence in our country, right? Those lives should not have been taken. Those lives should not have been lost. Um, and we know when these type of incidences happen throughout the U.S., that the solutions that the legislators or the community members try to push forward—not our community members, but that folks try to push forward—are for more guns, you know, that's not going to be the solution. We also hear, like, we should arm teachers. That's definitely not a solution. And shout out to my homegirl, Danielle Slaughter, who writes— the blog and does work at Mama Dimmicks who pointed out that white women are the predominant teacher and I don't feel comfortable and many black folks don't feel comfortable with white women having guns in schools as teachers because we know that the school pushout rates are hella high school suspension rates are really high because black children um, are seen as threats really young so no arming teachers with guns is not going to make our children safer and so The solution, actually, is the thing that I wanted to celebrate, right? This Louisiana high school had all these fights and a lot of violence happening. 23 students were arrested over the course of three days because of violence. And they were going to bring in, you know, more school police, more resource officers. Um, They were going to bring in more things to enforce these children, to police these children. And instead a black dad came up with this idea that what if we as fathers came together and we were the school, not necessarily patrol, but if they were the school uh, crisis intervention workers. And so this dad got together about 40 black dads, and the the organization or the group that they created is called Dads on Duty, and they literally walk through the high school. They are there when the kids arrive to school. They welcome them. You know, they tell these funny, corny dad jokes, um, and literally the fights have Declined, So they don't even have fights at the school because what is so powerful about this story, and I'm going to have us post it on our social media, is that it shows the role that fathers play. Black dads in particular play in children's lives, that they bring joy, they bring stability, um, they bring safety, um, and that the solution to these issues that we're having in our country is not more guns, is not more violence, is not more police. It's not more metal detectors. Um, It's not about how many interests we have or don't have. Um, It's not that. And we know that the the law enforcement strategy is not working. If you've read anything about the reports, you've heard stories about law enforcement not entering. You've heard stories about law enforcement actually tasing parents and, and arresting parents, putting them in handcuffs because they were trying to go in and save their children. And from this experience in Louisiana, we know that it seems that parents actually have a big role in schools and we can help to protect our children. That if we allow parents to have voice and power and agency and allow them to have leadership in school beyond just the basic PTA, beyond just the basic parent-teacher conference, That if parents had an active role in schools, that it could have a significant impact to decrease some of the issues that our children are experiencing. And in particular, it was really incredible to see, you know, these black dads showing up and supporting kids and the kids in the interviews on the news story. um, We're talking about just like I don't even have a father figure at home. So how incredible and powerful and impactful it is to have these men here to support us to lift us up to to cheer us on and to also get on us when we're not doing our best right and so that is what black dads do and so happy father's day to all the black daddies out there um and on this episode we're talking to dr khalid white and he wrote a book called black fatherhood trials and tribulations testimony and triumph check out the episode raising black children in the united states can be really scary and as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents, and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping. Hey, y'all, it's Trina. This is Parenting for Liberation's podcast, and it is June. And in honor of June, we are honoring Father's Day. And today we are speaking with Dr. Khalid White. He's an educator, filmmaker, and an author of a book that we're actually giving away um, in our community giving that we're doing for Black Father's Day. Um, His book is entitled Black Fatherhood, Trials and Tribulations, Testimony and Triumph. Um he completed his undergrad at Morehouse, shout out to the HBCUs, and he also pursued additional degrees, you know, at universities such as Harvard and UC Davis. He is the founder of blackempower.com which creates all original media content and merchandise to empower, inspire and educate. Welcome Dr. Khalid.
1: Thank you for having me, Trina.
0: It's so dope to uh, talk to you. We've been in communication a couple of times um, virtually um, and talking about uh, the significant and important role that black fathers um, play in our community, even though at times it's not lifted up, celebrated, and honored enough. And so that's why Parent of Liberation makes a commitment to honor and celebrate black dads um, every year. And so we're going to have an event locally, and we're actually giving away your book, So considering you wrote this whole book about fatherhood and you tell your story and you talk to other black fathers, I'm curious, why was it important for you to share the story of black fatherhood? And what do you feel is so distinct about black fatherhood that you hope is understood from folks who read your book and also watch your film? He also has a film about black
1: fatherhood. Mm, That's a great question. Before I answer that, I would just say again, thank you for having me. Thank you to the uh, Parenting for Liberation, uh, community out there for your support of Black fathers and Black families um, in all shapes, forms, and fashions in which they come. You know, it's very, um, it's just, it's just very needed, very necessary. And so, um, thank you for the work that you all are doing. For sure. And yeah, so t- to answer your question, as far as what is unique about Black fathers and Black fatherhood, well, you know. The uniqueness comes from the shared experiences, the the singular experiences, but also the shared experiences that black men have had, um, that black fathers go through that, you know, separates kind of our experiences in fatherhood from a lot of uh, other groups. You know, fatherhood is not specific to any one race or any um, one ethnic, you know, ethnicity or ethnic group. But the fact that we are black um, and people of African ancestry, you know, African-American, whatever kind of tag you want to assign to it, you know, that changes everything. Because we know that, you know, in in the United States and much of the world, if not the entire world, um, you know, a person's race is going to have a bearing on their experiences, a person's um, gender. So that, you know, being uh, men is going to have a, a a certain you know spin on our experiences and the way that we are viewed and the way that we are treated and the way that we are um, expected to, you know, respond in kind. So just the fact of, you know the melanin in our skin, the 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 curl in the hair or the waves or the braids or what have you, you know, just <laughs> those types of things, I mean, that separates black fatherhood from other, father experiences, but you know, fatherhood, is, it it's comes with some similarities across race, I would say, but the fact that we are of the African uh, diaspora, that also separates, you know, the experiences that we have as fathers. And then too, how we're portrayed in, in popular, you know, popular culture and popular media also plays a role in that. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that would be, that that's kind of why I took the angle. And being a black father, you know, and raised with a black father and black grandfather and that type of thing, you know, grandfathers, I have, you know, maternal and paternal grandfathers. Um, you know, I just wanted to pay homage to the men out there who um, are involved, invested in, you know, uh, part of their children's lives.
0: Yeah. You know, and that's important. I, I want to honor yet yeah, the legacy of black fathers and grandfathers who, who, who were there for you and helped showed up for you, and I, you know, I think it's important for us to pay honor and homage to those, and also to celebrate and to raise awareness. Because you said something. You said the reason that one of the key reasons you wanted to create, you know, the book and also the film, was because of the media messages that are portrayed about black fathers, right? And so, mm-hmm. usually when we hear the statistic about you know single black mothers, right, or single motherhood. Um, there's a way that that concept, that title, that term um, actually often makes assumptions that black men, um, more so than any other groups, are not present in their children's lives, right? Because you hear single black mom, single black family, a, a black single head of household. Um, and there's a way that the single actually is referring to a person's relationship status, right? Unmarried, uncoupled, unpartnered. But calling someone single doesn't mean that they are solo parenting. It doesn't mean that the father is not around. They're just not in an intimate relationship anymore, right? And so because of that narrative that's been created, um, there's, this, there's this stigma, there's this narrative, there's this picture that exists in the world that black dads are not present. There's this narrative of this absentee black dads. But research from the CDC shows that even though black fathers may not live and may not be in relationship with the mother or the other parents of their child, um, that black fathers are actually the most active, more than any other fathers, um, in terms of taking on responsibilities of child rearing, child raising, such as feeding and bathing and helping with homework, that black fathers are actually more active than other fathers of other racial backgrounds. And when I share that data, people are so surprised because it's like the story is that black dads are missing and are absent or are just deadbeat. And it's like, actually, no, black dads are more present, even so more present than fathers who live in the homes with their children. They're more active. And so I'm curious um, – about what do you think is causing these inaccurate perceptions of black dads, right? You created a documentary and a film to counteract that narrative, but why does that narrative exist when the numbers and the data show otherwise? Why are these perceptions continuing to be so pervasive?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? That's the million dollar question. I think that, um, I wish I had a single simple answer to why, but I I think that the answer to that is both historical and also contemporary, right? Mm -hmm. And um, from a historical lens and historical perspective, the Black family on these shores, you know, uh, uh, the United States um, soil has been under attack since 1619. And so um, whether we're talking about family separation, whether we're talking about in terms of enslavement, the father being you or men being used as quote unquote breeders, you know, mm-hmm, in some mm-hmm. cases uh, from plantation to plantation or even within plantation system. Um, we're talking about instances of the mother being uh, or the children being sold away from the mother and the father, or because the mother and the father wanted to get uh, married, uh, even though that was quote unquote illegal from the, you know, the, the, um, the, the legal standpoint, you know, they sell away the dad or they sell away the husband and that type of thing. So, I mean, again, historically, there has been an attack on the black family. There has been um, the creation of the conditions that would make a, make absenteeism real. And absenteeism, uh, absentee fathers, you know, that type of thing, it, it does exist. Um, there's no denying that. But there's also the facts, which you mentioned in the Center for Disease Control, um, Mentioned in that report that black fathers are more present, more active, and more involved in their children's lives, right? But so that's the historical kind of context. In the contemporary context, popular culture, TV, film, radio, um, those types of things, a- in addition to policies which separated men from families, you know, the the war on drugs, which was really a war in the black community black and brown communities, that type of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, that separated millions of men from their families for 20, 30, 40, you know, 50 years and beyond for small infractions, right? So, you know, in a lot of cases, um, we believe lies and the more that lies or more misconceptions or um, fake news and that type of thing. And the more, the more we see it, the more we hear it, the more it becomes real. Just like we believe that, um, or we led to believe that the pilgrims came here and had a great Thanksgiving with the Native Americans.
0: How many years
1: <laughs> in a row have we heard that lie, right? So in, in a similar sense, we hear about the deadbeat dad, the, um, you know, the the uninvolved, uninvested dad, the dad that just has sex with kids, obsessed with mothers make kids and Um, and moves on, right? We hear about that. And in in some cases, there may be some truth to that. But statistically, we know based on research data that that is very false. And so I wanted to uplift the data, the research, the the fact that when I read the CDC report, I'm thinking in my mind, how come nobody's talking about this? Why is this not broadcast? Well, the lie sometimes is sexier than the truth. Right. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, we we hear in we hear in the community, we hear kind of, you know, use colloquial that we have to get we have to be twice as good to get, you know, half as far or something of that sort. Right. Mm -hmm. Heard that phrase being used. And I think that with all these negative statistics and what the negative narrative about black fathers is, you know, just out there floating around, that black fathers. become twice as involved and twice as invested in order to not fall into those stereotypes and not fit those stereotypes i think that's a conscious or maybe even sometimes a subconscious decision because of all the negative press and publicity that is um thrown out about us and talked out about us. you've know, talked about us um and again that's popular culture that's in mainstream media that's on you know cnn that's on nbc that's on fox news None of those outlets we control or we have um, access to giving information through. Mm -hmm. So we have to go out and, you know, kind of uh, create our own news. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we are statistically over-invested. I want to say over-invested. We're statistically, we go harder because we know that the, um, you know, the mountain is that much higher for us to climb up just to be recognized as fathers.
0: Yeah, I mean the mountain is harder to climb to be recognized as fathers, but I also know that raising black children is is harder. So we got to go harder for yes. our kids, right? Um, we have to. And just hearing what you're describing, like the historical the historical institution of chattel slavery and how it intentionally disrupted, separated. Um, and try to sever the black family, right? It's been under attack, yeah. like you said, from our arrival, intentionally separating people who spoke the same language, who had the same dialect, who were from the same tribes, intentionally mixing us up so that we couldn't communicate, right? Intentionally not making it illegal to be married, right? So how do you have a group of people who were, it was illegal to be married, and then you wonder why our marriage rates are not as high or declined, right? And so I, I I think you're right when you speak to, the impact of our history in this country and I the question that comes to me is, and it's not even it's more of a rhetorical question, right? Is like who benefits from our families being separated? Who benefits from from black men being pulled away from their families still to this day by the war on drugs, by the carceral state, by mass incarceration, by police brutality? Who mm-hmm. benefits, right? Um mm-hmm. And that it's intentional. Right. It's, a, it's systemic. Right. And that mm-hmm. um, we have to continue to raise awareness about the stats to prove that we aren't actually um, we aren't less involved. And when I say we, I mean black fathers, not me, <laughs> no, <laughs> but that no, our, that are our, that are that our fathers aren't less involved and aren't 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 not present. Um, they are present, they're fighting to be present, and there's benefits to their presence, right? There's benefits for the children, obviously, but also data also shows that there's benefits to the relationship building that happens between father and child, that it actually shifts um, a father's uh, mental and emotional health, right? Um, so according to a psych- the psychology of men and masculinities, that that when men actively engage in the role of fatherhood, um, it has a positive impact on them, even if they're not living with their children, right? Um, particularly for African-American men who are non-residential parents who are not living in the home, it has a significant positive impact. Um, and there's some data, right? They said like, you know, the same level of like oxytocin that, that, a, that a parent gets from having a child or going through birth, that those bursts of oxytocin that um, that women may experience when they're birthing or breastfeeding and things like that that fathers also experience that same um, hormonal trigger. Um, and it shows that the levels of oxytocin um, that they receive from being with their child or playing with their child or holding their child or feeding their child, um, it shows that it increases. And so I'm also curious, like, who benefits from black dads not having that emotional connection? Because there's an assumption that dads are emotionally unattached, right? They just come in, lay down the law. Yeah. They're the tough guy. They don't have any feelings, yeah. Right. But we know that that's not true. So who benefits? And what do you think about that stat about, you know, fathers and the emotional t- attachment? And what do you, you know, what do you think about that? What do you, what have you witnessed in the work that you do with black dads? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, w- what I think about that and what I've witnessed is that's spot on. You know, I didn't have the, the language or the, um, the, the clinical terms with the oxytocin, that type of thing. But I understand the feeling and the joy and the social emotional bonds that are created between, you know, father and child and child and father, right? That relationship, particularly, um, you know, to have that foundational relationship and those social emotional bonds attached when that child is young. Um, and then seeing that growth over the time, you know, the child grows up and that type of thing, I can only speak from experience. On that, you know, having a, uh, a 15-year-old daughter myself, um, those bonds are very strong. And when, and, and you know, just to be frank, she does not live with me. She lives with her mother. So I'm in a co-parenting, you know, situation as far as that is concerned, or as far as she's concerned. But we spent a lot of time together. You know, I'm in a, a, a good a good a good spot, a good space with her mother, where she allows us to really have the time that you know we, we can spend together um, during the week, weekends, etc. So I have to give you know her her props, but um, yeah, it, when I'm not in communication with her or when we don't get a chance to talk because we talk almost every day. When I don't get a chance to talk to her, though we don't text or what have you, now that she's 15, she wants to text a little bit more, you know. But anyway, <laughs> we not Get with the program, when Dad. We, yes, yeah, so <laughs> we're not in communication, I feel my oxytocin level low. If that's, you know, that's what I'm feeling. I feel like, oh, man, something's off. Something's missing, right? Something didn't, you know, I didn't get, we didn't get a chance to talk today. It kind of threw my day off. It was, you know, it's, it's kind of the morning's is all bad. So I do, I, personally, I have felt that I do understand where you're coming from with that. Now having also a almost two year old baby, uh, th- another girl that, you know, um, who does live with me and, you know, I've got a chance to spend every day with her. Um, I just, the the level of oxytocin is through the roof. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the body is through the roof. You know, to be quite honest with you, Trina, for the last two years, I've been a stay-at-home dad.
0: Beautiful. Um, How is that? Yeah. How's that experience?
1: It's it's a game changer. It is an actual game changer for me. It makes me really, for one, um, it makes me more appreciative of parents who are the stay-at-home caretaking parent, you know? Because that's unpaid labor and that's really unrewarded labor, you know, for for lack of a better term. People look at, um, you know, the, being a breadwinner and that type of thing as kind of like a, a grand position and the, the, the position that you want to be in. And that's cool if that's what works for you. But for me, although I was kind of, quote unquote, the breadwinner in the family, um, man, I would gladly step aside and and take the role of the stay-at-home dad because it just really changed my whole changed my whole life. It's a paradigm shift for me. Um, I'm still doing work and that type of thing at home, and I'm able to you know, kind of work through online and, and do some stuff, you know, virtually, um, but to be the, you know, custodial parent, I guess, and the, and the caretaker, um, mm-hmm. the stay-at-home dad mm-hmm. in a position that I have not necessarily been in before, oh, this, this changed everything for me in a positive way, and it really makes me understand just how um, how could, what's the one I'm looking for? We, we, we're in this rat race lifestyle, this patriarchal kind of you know, white supremacist lifestyle that says hey, you got to get money, you got to get up. Capitalist. Capitalists, get up and hustle, get up and grind. And I was caught up in that. And I still am trying to unlearn that and unpack that, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, man, if, I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have had this opportunity to take this opportunity to stay home and not quote unquote, check in to nine to five, especially during this pandemic. I, You know, it just was apparent to me that being home for the family was the most important thing. So um, this has been a, a complete game changer for me. And I don't want to go back to work, to be honest with you. I do not want to. I'm going to have to go. But, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, in education, uh, where we got to start up, you know, this next academic year, I have to go back into the classroom. But no, you're going to miss big. being at home. I'm going to miss being at home, and I could already feel the the anxiety and the and the nerves and that type of thing. So yeah. I know that I I, I kind of lost your point or lost my no. point in terms of answering your question. No,
0: this was that was that was what you needed. That's what needed to be said. Um, but
1: man, this this I would encourage more dads, especially black dads, if you are in a position or able to. Um, take some time off and really invest and, and build these bonds and, you know, understand the connection that we do have socially, emotionally with our children. It's just as much for me in terms of relationship as it is for the baby. For um, sure. And, for sure. you know, it's, 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 it's a reciprocal relationship. It's used, this has changed my whole perspective, Trina. And it, it did, <laughs> I can hear it. it, it. Uh, you can't pers-
0: you can't even describe it in words because i really want you to be I'm like tease it out, explain it to them, tell them why it's so great, and you're like, I just it's just amazing.
1: <laughs> it's, it's it is amazing, and now it's hard work. It's, it's hard. hard. I was gonna, gonna say, cute. don't make it
0: sound like it's oh, all easy. No, it's some it's, challenges. We're at, so we're let's, not at
1: Disneyland every day, and this is not you know this is I'm talking about changing diapers, feeding the baby. You know, kids get uh, well. Toddlers getting moody, and I don't want no, and all that type of stuff, right? So it it doesn't come with with without challenges for sure. Um, and the thing about it is I'd rather have these challenges than be at a at a job taking those challenges and not really fully invested in it, you know? Right. Um, this is this is a, a spot where I'm fully invested. I'm fully invested in my kids, and um, you know, this has been.
0: A game changer.
1: A game changer. In a sense, it's been liberating, right? Liberating.
0: Listen, black daddies out there, black dads out there, you heard it from Dr. Khalid himself, that if you have the capacity, right, to stay at home, that doesn't mean, you know, I think there is going to be questions. You know, I think there's a lot. You were talking about how do you, you're you're trying to interrupt internally um, what, you know, the late great Bell Hooks describes as white capitalist patriarchy right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to interrupt that, right? The narrative that you're supposed to be the breadwinner because you're male, you know, you're supposed to go make the money, you're supposed to go bring home the bacon, and the mom's supposed to cook the bacon, you know, like all of that, you're interrupting that binary around gender roles, right? So black dads, he's telling you, let go of those gender roles, because some of the most rewarding work that you could do is being present in your child's life on a day-to-day basis. It is some of the most exhausting work but also some of the most rewarding work it's the most underpaid work it's why there's so much organizing happening in the world around making sure that these this invisible labor this labor of caretaking and nurturing and caregiving is so essential right and we learned that during the pandemic when parents had to log on to work and also be their child's everything their teacher their nurse their doctor their playmate their friend you know their therapist like you have to be all the things but it's such a beautiful way to connect um and I honestly think that it's a rec- reclamation of our ancestral ways of being when I went back to Ghana um children stayed around like even if the the parents were working or doing something like the children were there and present and were a part of it all day and so how do we think of not our children um you know being an extra thing that we have to do and actually how can they become our priority. Um, And I know that's hard in this capitalist society. I will say that because, you know, we do have to make money to live in this world. Rent is expensive. Mortgages are expensive. Bills are expensive. Food and gas. Oh, my God, gas is expensive. So I know that there are, you know, there is possibly some privilege to being able to even have a parent be a stay-at-home parent. But even when my child was a youngster, um, a child, a baby, um, his dad actually was a stay-at-home dad. Um, I would be curious how he would describe it now. Back then, he struggled with it. Um, because when we did the math, right, the math wasn't mathing. If your income is going to primarily just cover the cost of childcare, then I'd rather not pay childcare and I'd rather mm-hmm. you stay at home, right, than to go make X number of hundreds of dollars a week. But that's how much it costs to send our kids to childcare. So mm-hmm. we made a collective family decision. Um, for him to be, a, you know, the stay-at-home parent. Um, and it, when it was hard, it was hard for him. But I, I know that the relationship and the bond that he established with his child, I can still see that to this day, even though we're separated and we're not together and we're co-parenting. Um, that relationship, it was foundational, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's really important. So I appreciate you saying that. But I do want you to share, um, you know, a little bit of – You know, what are some of the challenges? Because I know that fatherhood can be scary and, you know, we talked about absenteeism and some folks may run from it. And I remember reading your story um, early on, like you were considering like, do I want to do this? Like, this is not the Mm -hmm. life that I wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I could, you were like, I could just disappear. (laughs) I could just move. You know, you had all these things that you were contemplating, right? And I'm assuming that was, like, rooted in some fear. And I'm curious yeah. about what is that fear for black fathers? Um, some of those fears are our own personal fears, but some of them are rooted in, you know, our 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 ancestors' experiences with fatherhood or parenting. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about what are some of the fears you had? How did you move past those fears? And if you can give folks... Um, some examples about ways that they could shift beyond those barriers to parent in healthier ways.
1: Well, some some good questions. Um, yeah, the the fears that I had initially. Um, yes, I I contemplated just you know getting out of town and 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 <laughs> and, and moving and doing all that type of stuff to kind of um, run away from the responsibility of fatherhood. So I think the fear was. A new responsibility, a new challenge, something that I didn't feel like I was ready for, um, and that fear was very real for me. Even though I have some, you know, pretty positive examples of um, from men in my life, you know, and their parenting and their their fathering and that type of thing, I have some examples, some good examples from women in my life, you know, that type of thing. So I had I had some some good, you know, role models, if you will, parent role models. But at the same time, I was like, man, this is not the lifestyle that I saw for myself. This is not what I thought. I thought really life was kind of over. Um, And so there was some fear in that. I didn't, I was young. I was 20 something. I just, you know, I was like, man, this is not how I envision things. Um, So the fear of the unknown, the fear of being tied down, the fear of being um, in a situation that I did not necessarily envision for myself or plan for myself. Those were all very real. Um, And also Two, it's like, well, how do I do it? I might mess up. Um, who's going to show me the ropes and that type of thing? You know, in a lot of cases, no one can show you the rope. There's going to be some trial and error. And there's really just have to be a level of maturity. I don't, I don't think at that time I was mature enough to, to wrap my mind around just being a parent. So those are some of the challenges that I personally felt. Those are some of the things I didn't think that I was gainfully um employed at the time. You know, I had just when I had my first daughter, I had just got a new job. And it was one of those ones that I was finally first about to start making some money, right? This, you know, in this capitalist society. And I was like, man, there goes all my money. You know, there goes all the the, the lifestyle I thought I was gonna have. There goes the money, there goes the free time. And in a sense, some of that was true, but um embracing the role of dad, eventually coming around to it and, and and leaning into it, all that went out the window, and all and it really turned out to be a very fruitful, very rewarding, very um um just just a very blessed situation, you know, for one to have a healthy child, for one is a blessing. So, you know, I, that was that was just the first part. And then, two, just the, the bond that I was able to build with my oldest daughter, you know, um, was, was, <laughs> I, again, it's hard for me to put it into words, but it really, it really changed my identity. It really turned my life around. Where I was personally, I thought I was going on one track. This led me to a whole different place in life where I am the person I am today because of her and because of this experience. And because of being able to be a dad, it really shaped my whole identity now. So now I'm in tune with some different things that, I, you know, what what I was thinking for myself just is not important. It's not, just not as important or not as cool anymore. This is what's cool. Mm. This is what's important. This is what really matters. Um, and then also having girls, you know, having, having daughters. Um, I was scared for my life as far as that's concerned. Because in my family, it's all boy. I have all brothers. I have ninety nine percent of my cousins are men. You know what I mean? It's like it's our our my family is kind of male dominated for the most part. Um, and so you know, this was like the first girl in I don't know t- ten fifteen years.
0: <laughs> and then you had you know more I mean? than you had another
1: one. <laughs> and then I had another girl. Yeah. So having girls too, it opens up. Um it opened up some, some personal things for me just in the way that I had treated women in the past, Mm. the way that I have thought about my interactions with women and, and, and experienced those. And, you know, I, it it really, um, it made me have to do some soul searching and some, just some shedding of some of this toxic masculinity that I've been, um, been learning, you know, I had to unlearn some of it if, and I'm still trying to unlearn it, you know, but, um, yeah, it just made me, you know, it made me kinda of think like, man, I've been I've been tripping for a long time, you know, mm. particularly around uh, particularly around my relationships and my interactions with women. And um, I don't, you know, I don't want my, my daughter to have to go through some of the same stuff I put women through. That was one of the things. So that was another fear. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just was a lot of um a lot of recalculating, recalibrating, looking back. And really, just you know, I don't want to say being ashamed, but but really just saying, oh man, I got to do better, and this is where better starts, you know. Mm-hmm. But I had to come to that place. It did it, it, when I got the news. I, it wasn't a happy thing. Yeah. It was not a happy thing initially. Um, and I had to come to that place. But now again, it was, it was it was the best experience or one of the best experiences in the world for me. And so um, you know, coming coming back to this idea of Absenteeism and that type of thing, and also thinking about the oxytocin that's released when you spend time with your children. If a person kind of has those, if a person could, could feel that level of joy that you get from interacting with your child, there's really, it's really hard to be an absentee or deadbeat after getting that type of high,
0: you know? Oh, you're looking for your next hit, your next high. <laughs>
1: I mean I mean, no, it's but it that is like but that in, is the yeah. way it
0: works, right? You're looking exactly. for that next dose, like, oh my gosh, I need, yeah, I need to see my baby and,
1: and once that dose becomes every day and you get a daily quote, unquote, dose. I like that every day <laughs> a daily dose, you know, it's a different it's different than all the weed you could smoke or all the drinks you could drink or whatever else you you know the drug of choice is today. It's a different level of high that you just I, I can't put into words, you know, so, um, mm. you know I, I don't think that I don't think that um uh, we can quantify it in terms of the feeling, right, but the effects are positive in all sense of the word for yourself and for your child being in their life
0: you know i I believe this a hundred percent to be true. um I'm co-parenting myself, and mm-hmm. when my son goes away. You know, for the weekend, yes, I'm free. I can do my thing. But there's a moment after I did my thing a little bit, like maybe Friday night, Saturday, and then there's a moment where I'm like, dang, how many more hours do I get my baby back? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all that stuff is fun. I'm
1: going,
0: you know, I'm going out. I might go out with friends. I might go out for drinks. I might go to brunch. You know, I might do all the things that are fun and exciting and also bring me lots of joy. Hanging out with black mm-hmm. women, you know what I mean, like hanging out with my family, mm-hmm. all the things, vacation. But there's a moment in all of that where I'm just like, I wonder what my baby's doing. I wonder. Yep. I'm about to call yep. him and bother him, yep. you know. <laughs> so I I know what you mean of like you need that dose. Um, I could go a couple of days, but I'm checking in. Um, and also like, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say because I was sorry. go ahead. What go you gonna say? Go
1: ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'll let you
0: finish, too. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I was just gonna say this. Uh, there's also I was research, um, not researching. I just read something, and I have no idea. I can't even bring it to the forefront of my mind exactly what it says. But there's this research that's happening um, about addiction. So we're talking about oxytocin, and we're joking about hits. And I know that addiction, and you know, and that is a very serious thing. And I'm not trying to make light right. of it. Um, not at all. Because and you know, there is this research that shows that the The opposite of addiction is connection. That is not about, you know, rehab or things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, they're doing this study where they, like, are testing, you know, with animals or something. Um, Mm -hmm. They keep putting them in these cages alone, and they're giving them this, you know, drug, and then they overdose. But if they put them in cages with other animals and they have the drug still there, folks are less likely I mean, not folks, the animals are less likely to overdose and they actually don't even go to the drug because they're like, oh, instead of going to the drug, I'm getting all of my high and energy and excitement and joy from the relationship with these other people or Mm. other animals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so um, so that's what people have been saying, like the the cure, the, the opposite. It's not about sobriety. It's about connection. It's about relationships. It's about being in community. It's about that that level of feeling like you're a part of something you belong to people people care about you and so i you know so i don't want to you know make light of addiction or anything of that nature but it is like what we're saying about the relationship with their child like having that time and g- getting filled up with their energy and their love and i'm not saying that kids are always easy and sometimes mm-hmm. they be stank and they got bad attitudes <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. rude and they're mm-hmm. unruly mm-hmm. and um But there's still even something to that because when you break through that with your child, there's like on the other side of all of that stank, toddler, whatever, tantrum, on the other side of that is so much, you know, potential for love and connection. So I just wanted to say that. And what were you going to say?
1: No, absolutely. A hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head. I think the connection is what I'm looking for. It's not so much. It's it's that social emotional bond. What I'm trying to say, that's kind of more of a technical term. But no, we're connected. We're connected like, you know, like a magnet. We, we, we just, you know, we are attached to each other and the attachment is very real. Um, you know, when you were talking about having your free time and being able to go out, that type of thing when uh, your son is gone. And I've, I've been there as well. Um, I had an opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we took some, we, I'm, myself and some other black teachers, we took students on a study abroad trip. Right, we went to Belize um, a few years back, and I mean, beautiful. This was, just, you know, a great trip, great kind of tour guides and hosts. We studied the African presence in Latin America, so we saw kind of, you know, um, these these African roots in Central America and Latin America, and how you know our presence as African people is is, is all over. It's, it's deep. deep, and it's and it's all over this hemisphere and. You know connections right back to the motherland, right? So I mean, learning all this stuff, seeing all this new stuff, and you know, went back to my room one night and really just started sobbing. I missed my daughter, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As much fun as I was having as, as I was thousands of miles away. I mean, crystal blue waters, is, you know, you could go swimming first thing in the morning until the you know and until and, and the uh, sun went down. I'm talking about just beautiful. if anybody's ever been to Belize, it's a beautiful country. But just, I was just not fulfilled after day three, four. Like, man, something is off. Something is, is missing. And somebody asked me what was wrong. And I'm trying to play it off like, oh, no, I'm cool. Everything's all right. But I, in my internally, you know, I just missed her. And I, I missed that connection. It was cool to be there, but I would have much rather have been there with her, showing mm-hmm. her those sights and sounds and things of that sort. So, anyway, um, I say all that to say, you know, that, that, um, connection and the bonding and yeah, all that stuff is, is very true, very real.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. So we're encouraging connection y'all. It is, uh, potentially, uh, a way for us to get the healing that we need is through our relationships yeah. to other people. So I, yeah. I really see that. Um, speaking of connections, you and I both have been co-parents um, mm-hmm. And we're hosting an event, Parents for Liberation is hosting an event here in Southern California in Compton, um, where I'm from, or my people are from, Compton, California, and we're hosting an event called Black Daddy Day, and it's at a barber shop. and we're going to have cuts and combos about co-parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the topic the dads it. want to talk about. And so, you know... I wanted to hear from you, like, what are some of the challenges for black fathers and co-parenting? And then what are some tips that you might have? Because, you know, you've been doing it for 15 years. Um, What are some tips to do it in a healthy way when parents are no longer together? How, you know, what are strategies that we can do this well? And listen, I'm taking notes because my kid's 13, (laughs) but I still got some learning to do around this co-parenting journey. Yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah. and and I still have some learning to do. And I haven't been a co-parent for 15 years. It's probably been of that. It's probably been at least ooh, probably been at least t- 13, 12 13 of those fifteen. So, you know, we kind of broke my daughter's mother and I kinda broke our relationship off um, officially, you know, kinda kinda young when my daughter was young. Same, um, same. When my son was so, two. Yeah. So, you know, it just um it just went that way. And where we are today is not where we started from. I'll, I'll just be perfectly candid with that. You know, it was rocky. It's been rocky. It's been up and down. It's um, more so up now because we both, you know, again, a level of maturity and she's went her separate way, got remarried. I went my separate way, got remarried, that type of thing. So we, we, we're we doing us. We're doing, I'm doing me, she's doing her, right? Mm-hmm. So hopefully with that, um, there's not a whole lot of room for a whole lot of BS in the middle, but I would say one of the things is really to get some form of communication or respectful communication. I think that's the first thing. Keyword,
0: respectful communication. It
1: has to be respectful because, um, you know, unfortunately we get to a point of disrespect because the feelings and emotions are still there. If not on both sides, maybe on just on one side. And maybe it's you, as the man, you still feel a certain way about the about you know your your former partner, your your co-parent, or vice versa, she still feels a way about you. And I think once we can kind of put the the personal feeling to the side, or you didn't do this, you should have done this. I still want you, you still want me. Maybe those types of things are still there. If we can separate that from the business at hand, and the business at hand is making sure that we raise a liberated child. Um, You know, and and a Mm -hmm. whole child. I think that we can we can be further uh, along in terms of the um, the goals for our co-parenting. So I think the communication has to be there for one. I think that two, in terms of the communication, you have to also be okay with being with allowing the co partner to go on and live their life. Right, mm-hmm. you can't. St- you, you 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 can't.
0: You can't. St- <sighs> Just say the You truth. can't
1: be a you can't be a coach on a team that you're not playing that you're not involved in anymore. You can't be the coach on that team. You know. Mm. So I had to <laughs> I had to take a step back and say, look, she's gonna date who she's gonna date. She's gonna do some of the things that she's gonna do. I can I can't really control that. I can only. um protect my, you know, my, my baby's interest to a certain degree, but I have to also trust her that she'll make the right decisions. Right. And that wasn't easy to come to. That wasn't an easy decision to come to because again, the emotions are there, right? That's my baby. And And yeah, that is your baby, but that's not necessarily your, your, your woman anymore for you to call any type of shots with. So I had to come to that realization. That wasn't easy (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't an easy thing to do, you know? Um, and again, we're talking about over years, right? This is not something that I came to the conclusion of night. So you can't coach a team that you no longer, you know, involved with. I'm, I'm not on that team no more. You don't That's play not for my, that you know, team. <laughs> we don't play for that team anymore. I can't be, you know, my, well, <laughs> my Golden State Warriors are in the finals, but I can't, you know, be looking at the Warriors game and also trying to look at the um, – the Lakers game too, you know? Right. We gotta focus on what's what's in front of us. Right. Um so I communication... like the anal-
0: I like the analogy because it I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure for the dads this sports analogy thing is working. Um but I like I like so. I, I the point that you're making that like um it sounds like in order to you have to release. You have to release the person, like the individual yep. relationship and they're gonna do what yep. they're gonna do and you can't control what someone else is gonna do. All you no. can control is the relationship you have with your child. Um, yeah. And how you show up for that child. I, I, I feel like that's really important is to release yeah. that. Like you're, you know, yeah. you're using the coaching and the team metaphor. You're not on this team. You don't play on this team. You can't tell this team what to wear, how to play, mm-hmm. what plays to do, where to play, what fields to be on. You know, you can't, you don't control anything about that person's life. Um, mm-hmm. That feels important. And I, I heard you say communication, and we hear that all the time. It feels cliche, but respectful communication, consistent communication, right, yeah. feels important, yeah. right? Like, yeah. um, choosing a communication uh, thread that works for you feels important. Like, I cannot necessarily talk on the phone with my partner, yeah. my ex-partner, mm-hmm. my my co-parent. Mm-hmm. We text message. Mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. cannot... I also had to create structures to hold us both accountable for example. So I only text message my ex, um my child's co-parent with a third party on the text message thread. That third party mm. happens to be his mom and dad. Mm, okay.
1: <laughs>
0: and okay. that's who will help me help me show up because I'm not going to disrespect my children's grandparents, but also it helps hold him accountable too. The things that we're agreeing to, you know, we agree to these dates, we agree to these times. So, you know, like, we're saying this in front of a group. We're saying this in front of two other people that are holding both of us accountable to what we're committing to. Um, And so, you know, you know, having a neutral third party who who can make sure that your communication stays respectful, stays clear and doesn't, you know, tries to prevent it from going below the belt or going outside of the boundaries of like a co-parent. Right? right. And so that's been helpful for me in terms of a tip for folks who are listening.
1: No, I would I would agree 100 percent, Trina, as far as um, what you're saying there to have um, a neutral third party or somebody that can give you or your co-parent some real wisdom. Right. And and especially if you have to think about this, you saying you're texting him and his parents. His parents are still together. I take it, mm-hmm. and so they have an exam They are set an example of what you know. Hopefully, a healthy relationship is, and so they can not only set that example, but they can um, be involved in the communication between the parents. And that really is that village method.
0: Mm-hmm, we're still
1: sure. we're still a family. We're still related, even if we're not in a traditional family relationship or style or if we're not under the same roof or it doesn't look the same as it might look on, you know, um, the, the Brady Bunch or something like that, right? We, we don't necessarily have to follow that particular model, but we're still in community. We're still very much connected um, family-wise. And the same thing with myself and my oldest, you know, her mother, I'm still connected with the grandmother and her aunt and, you know, and, and that's how the family to some degree, even my uh, co-partner's husband will text too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We don't, we don't always text in a group setting, but we still are are fairly connected as a group and as a family for the hopeful benefit of our daughter who we all have a vested interest in her being the best person that she can be. So Again, it did not start off like that, you know. I have to own my side of it. I, I wasn't the easiest person to deal with. I was upset. I was hey, don't spend my money here, and you know that all that all that typical stuff that you hear, and a lot of that toxic masculinity, um, uh, came and, and reared his head. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And
1: I and I, I honestly I didn't have a whole lot of well. I'm not in half. I didn't seek out a whole lot of people to help me kind of navigate these rocky waters. I pretty much took it on my own because I didn't want people in my business that type of thing. But eventually, I had to get some some level of support mm-hmm. on this. and what do I do, you know? Yeah. Um, and so part of the the fatherhood thing, or the manhood thing, I should just say, is that oh man, I can do it. I can do it on my own. I've been doing it, uh, you know. But and and that may be true. But you only know what you know, and you can only kind of see yourself as far as, like, your nose goes. You you, you can't see beyond that, you know? So somebody to kind of pull me to the side and say, hey, don't do this, don't do that. This is what I would suggest that you do, those types of things. If you have somebody that can give you some sound counsel and some advice, preferably somebody who is an elder, who can kind of say, hey, man, at at 28, 29, 32, 36, you know, I— I did this, I, I, I experienced that too, I've been in your shoes, but here's how I would suggest that you, man, that helped me, you know?
0: Yeah. So it when sounds, sounds like out, some, it some wise counsel, wise counsel, and, and wise counsel can be elders, but please make sure you are reaching out to wise counsel. Wise. <laughs> you know, um... <laughs> Make sure you're, you know, and if that, that might not be someone in your immediate family, you know, you might have to look outside of your family, but as you were describing... Um, it's a reclamation of our African way of, of being in community about a tribe, about a village, right? It takes a village yeah. to raise a child is that African proverb and we have to remember that there are people a part of our village who can be wise counsel um, we have to go out and seek them, we can't feel like embarrassed that we're not doing it right because we have to try to do this the best for our children, right? B- black children are already experiencing discrimination and racism just for being black in black skin in this country, right? Like let's not Add to that by not being able to do the work to collectively do parenting, right? To to connect with our co-parents, to honor each other, to respect each other at the at the minimum, to respect each other um, so that everyone who wants to contribute to this child's life can. Um, and I think that feels important, right? How do we create these villages, right? How do we create our village to support us in raising our children? So that feels important. Um, yeah. I wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to share about, you know, black fatherhood, um, black dads, co-parenting, any of the things that we talked about. Maybe we missed anything. I just want to kind of give you a chance to give some last words.
1: Mm. Well, let's see. As far as the co-parenting situation is concerned, I think that you know we hear the statistic again that most black children are, are x amount percent is born out of wedlock, meaning you know the, the parents are not married, that type of thing, right? So we're going to have to find some ways to, if that that statistic is true, right, uh, we're going to have to find some ways to successfully co-parent. And I think that now is, quote unquote, the new norm, you know, is going to be some more co-parenting as opposed to um, seeing the traditional marriage and relationship structure that we may have seen with our grandparents or, you know, generations before us. I think as the times change, you know the the relationship situations change. Now I'm not suggesting that that's the route that everybody goes, but since that is kind of what's happening, we can't deny the fact that you know the co-parent thing is real. Um, we have to find some ways to successfully co-parent. So I think that you know the, the next step is finding some some tips, some tools, some some tricks of the trade to be able to co-parent successfully. And um, there are people who are able to do that, you know, and, and um, kudos to you, you know, for, for those that who are doing that. But I think that that is kind of like the next frontier, you know, um, traditional marriages and relationships may not be the thing anymore. Um, just as the context and the culture changes, you know, we have to our relationships change with that. But the village um, and having a village, having a support system and a port, support group and support team that hasn't changed. We need that, and we've needed that since we've arrived here. You know, that's one thing that I would say about that
0: particular topic. Yeah. And I think it is important. Um, We have an episode on the podcast with Mia Birdsong, um, an earlier podcast. I want to say from memory it's like episode 13. Don't quote me on that. But it's an episode and we talk about the expansiveness of black parenting, that it is Mm -hmm. not about this traditional, and the question is whose tradition is it to have a a two-parent-led household with kids and a white picket fence and a dog, that that mm-hmm. is actually not sustainable for anybody. Like, that's not even mm-hmm. working for white people, first mm-hmm. of all. Second of all, whose tradition is that? Because culturally, you know, we come from a village mindset. So I don't know if this idea that co-parenting is new and the new way, or actually is it a reclamation, is it a returning Um mm-hmm is this expansiveness, right? We have to look at the ways that even as a black family, like I have aunties and uncles who are not biologically connected to me. I have mm-hmm. godmoms, godsiblings, God siblings, all that, no biological connections. I also have, um, I also have these just other adults in the world who kind of just become a part of my, my village, you know, that I can call on. They don't have a yeah. title on, you know, but I, I think culturally, um, we, 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 the connection, like we talked about earlier, connections and relationships are what will heal us and what gets us through. And so I think that we've always figured out a way as black people, we've always had to figure out a way. Um, I remember growing up, my grandma would always have an extra seat at the table. Anybody who was just walking down the street that needed a meal, they can come eat, you know? And so I think Mm -hmm. we've always had that orientation that like, it's about the people and connections. And so folks might not be, you know, coupled and partnered in the quote-unquote, traditional sense. And regardless of your relationship status, I believe we all have to be our best co-parents. Even when you're living in a household with somebody and you're husband and wife or you're married, two partners, yeah. you're still co parents and You still got to figure out how to do this together. And so
1: mm-hmm. I
0: do feel like that is, you know, that 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 co-parenting is the thing that we need to figure out how to do well and what are the strategies, what are the tips. And so we will be talking about that in Compton on yes. June 12th. Yes. With black dads.
1: It. And love that you brought it to the um the, the barbershop, a neutral location, right? But a location that um, dads are familiar with and feel comfortable in and that's a genius. Genius yeah. idea.
0: And you know the, the significance of the barbershop, shop, right? It is a place where Similar to the black woman going to the hair salon, it's like where, you know, it'd be a place where you dish some, you hear some dirty laundry, you hear some gossip. But then there's also Mm -hmm. these beautiful moments where um, folks can actually, who know you, who see you, who you can share your story with and they can hear you. Um, And so there's actually this really cool organization that I connected with, um, which is how I found the barbershop um, called the Confess Project which oh, actually man, trains, man, so. yeah, oh, you know them. They they train yeah. barbers um, around, like, mental health where, uh, wellness. They're not necessarily trained to, like, be therapists or, you know, anything of that nature, but they're, they're trained about how to hold space, how to validate, how to support folks, particularly black men in black barbershops, um, how to hold folks, how to support folks, and how to direct them to the resources when they do hear, you know, their clients need support with, um, you know, whatever issues they're dealing with, so... Mm -hmm. So it's such a significant role. We're hoping folks will come out. Um, We're giving away free haircuts. We're giving away your book. (laughs) We're giving away so much um, because we want Black Dads to know that they deserve it and that we are invested in them because they are worth it. You know, they're a valuable part of our society and our community.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for for doing that, you know, on behalf of Black Dads. Thank you for, for investing in us, you know?
0: Yes, yes. It's definitely a reciprocal relationship. Um, but before we go, I want folks to know how they can get your book and watch your film and learn more about you. Can you tell folks where they can find you?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, if you are interested or as you you know hear this and want to find out more, you can find me on all social media platforms um, at BLKMPWR. That's Black Empower. And we're, what I'm doing is really trying to empower the um the black race and people of, you know, African descent. So that's B L K M P W R. And you can, um, also find the book, find, you know, stream the film, all that different type of stuff, all the, all that goodies, all those goodies on B L K M P W R.com. Um, so yeah, black dot You can Google Khalid white K H A L I D and last name white. You'll see some things pop up. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's how people can, can get in touch with me. Black Empower B-L-K-M-P-W-R. And, um, again, we're just trying to, you know, empower the black race through books, film, and fashion. So I do it, you know, for the culture, as they say.
0: Do it for the culture. Yes. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the incredible work you're doing. Um, in advance, I want to say happy Father's Day.
1: Thank you very much.
0: R and P4L's terms. Happy Black Daddy Day. Aye. There we go. <laughs>
1: happy Black Daddy Day. And happy Juneteenth. It falls on the same day. It does.
0: Yes. Yeah. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Black Father's Day. Um, and y'all can find more about P4L on our Instagram, social media, um, and on our website. So thank you so much for this time. We appreciate you.
1: Thank you, P4L. Thank you, Trina, uh, the P4L community and um again you know it's 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 imperative that we uplift our black fathers and our black families, black mothers too, black children, you know, we uh, we need each other. There's no you without me, right? Mm-hmm. And so um yeah, just thank you for what you all are doing, thank you for listening and um let's continue to be great.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.